Well, this morning we are looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to make a shameless plug for a Christian education class that started this morning, a seven-week series on the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you were there, uh, and we'd love to see many more of you. If you would like to get up a little bit earlier and join us, we would love to have you there. But we're going to look this morning at the beginning and the end of the book of Ecclesiastes and look at its major theme. So it's printed for you in your bulletin. If you want to turn to your Bibles, it's Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1 is where we will start. I have a good friend who I've known and been friends with since elementary school named Tommy. Tommy uh, started the Fellowship of Christian Athletes chapter at our high school. And during our senior year, Tommy started sitting up at the front of the class in our English class because he was so concerned that he get an A in that class because he was trying to get into the Naval Academy. Well, he worked really hard. He got into the Naval Academy. He worked really hard while he was there. And he got commissioned as an officer in the Marines and had several years of, of a great career that he was enjoying. He met a girl. He got engaged. But before the wedding took place, Tommy was diagnosed with Pick's disease, which is a rare degenerative brain disease. There's not a cure for it, and it's terminal. We hear things like this, and we say, why does this kind of thing happen? Why does God allow these things to happen? Is there any meaning in life? Why work? Why study? How do I know that I won't get hit by a bus tomorrow? We often hear that life without God is meaningless, and that's true. But life with God can often seem very meaningless as well. You know, miscarriages happen to parents who love God. And it's easy at times to provide simple answers to why God allows a tragedy to happen until it happens to you or someone close to you. And then there is a very real why. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? Suddenly things don't make a lot of sense. You know, Christianity is often presented as though it will make all of life's problems go away and things will be rosy and and you can have your best life now. But the reality is, I think most of us experience that life is messy and it doesn't always make sense, even if you are a Christian. You know, I imagine that some of you are sitting here this morning and you are ready to walk away from your jobs because they are so miserable, because it causes you so much anxiety, because you come home and you can't stop thinking about it. You can't stop being frustrated. Others of you are contemplating whether this marriage is worth staying in because life is so difficult right now. And you wonder, why has God allowed this difficult season for me? Maybe you're studying and you just can't seem to make sense of the subject matter. And you think, God, why can I not get this? And we look around the world and we see injustice 
all over the place. We see pain and suffering. Some of you have received devastating diagnoses about your health. Or you know people that have. And we hear things like this, and we want to scream, Why? Is it all just meaningless? Is there any purpose in life, God, if you will allow things like this to happen? Is there a key that will make sense of everything? Well, believe it or not, these aren't new questions. These questions have been around forever. And these are questions that the book of Ecclesiastes deals with. Ecclesiastes is an ancient book of wisdom. And it addresses these questions. So if you want to know what a book is about, and that's what we're going to do this morning, just try to get a general sense of the book, the best thing to do is to look at the beginning and at the end of the book, the introduction and the conclusion. What Ecclesiastes does for us is it takes us on a search throughout the world looking for meaning. And it looks at various different aspects of life. And in our Christian Ed class, we'll be looking at some of those different aspects. But this is the introduction to the tour. So welcome aboard. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. The word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. On its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it can be said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later of latter things yet to be among those who come after. And now the conclusion, chapter 12, beginning in verse 8. Again we hear, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again. Open our eyes, O Lord, that we might behold wonderful things from this portion of Your Word. We pray this morning that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So the preacher announces his text, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does that mean? Why is that even in the Bible? Is that even a Christian thing to say? If we were to look, you don't need to turn, but Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go, eat your bread in joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. That sounds a lot like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Some of you have heard that in Dave Matthews' song, Tripping Billies. Is that, is that the advice that Ecclesiastes would give us? That, hey, life is just meaningless, so the best that you can do is just go have fun, however you can find it. How do we understand the book of Ecclesiastes? Well, a lot of people have understood Ecclesiastes to be just the thoughts of a skeptic with a few orthodox comments, like we read at the end in chapter 12, kind of critiquing all that's come before. Others have understood Ecclesiastes as describing life under the sun, referring to life without God. And they say Ecclesiastes is is all about what life looks like without God. And its intent is to drive us to despair so that we'll be ready to embrace God. But I don't think, while these are not entirely wrong, I don't think they're fully satisfying. See, I don't think Ecclesiastes is just for skeptics. I think Ecclesiastes is for everyone, including Christians who have a relationship with God and who trust Him, but at the same time struggle to make sense of His providence in their lives, who don't always understand the whys of what happens. So how do we figure out what Ecclesiastes is about? As we've said, we're going to look at the beginning and the end. Verse 2, meaningless, meaningless, or vanity of vanities. The Hebrew word here actually means vapor, or breath. Meaningless uh, is maybe not the best understanding because what it's, it's not saying that life is completely worthless and not worth living, but rather that life is frustrating. And it's difficult to understand. And you can't control it. See, the reality is that we're living in a post-fall world. Genesis 3, that we're right in the middle of, tells us about the fall into sin. And because we're in a post-fall world, we're not in the paradise of the Garden of Eden. We don't understand everything perfectly. 
Our bodies deteriorate. Our relationships are broken. And life and work are a burden. And so because of that, we often struggle to find meaning and satisfaction in our lives. You know, some of you uh, may resonate with the Rolling Stones who sang, you know, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try. We struggle to make sense of our circumstances, but the reality is that we just can't figure it all out. And we wish that we could figure it all out. We wish that we could understand why God allows things to happen in our lives. And we study the world around us. It's what Ecclesiastes spends most of the book doing. And we look at the things that we pour our time and our energy and our emotions into. And then we look at the results and we so often say, it's just a vapor. Why? Life is messy and we don't always experience health and wealth and happiness. But Christianity doesn't promise us that. And what Ecclesiastes forces us to do is to admit what we already know, that life is frustrating. Look at verse 3. Ecclesiastes talks about life under the sun. Describes this life under the sun as vanity and a striving after the wind. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Life is frustrating. Work is frustrating. But you know, I don't think that he is describing life without God. But rather life in a fallen and broken world. The preacher says in verse 5, The sun rises and the sun sets. Verse 6, The wind continues its circular course. Seems meaningless. Look at verse 7. You know, the rivers keep flowing into the sea, but the sea never gets full, and the water returns, and just over and over, and these life cycles. And it seems meaningless at times. You know, you do the dishes, and then there's another dirty dish. You get so excited because you got through all of the laundry, and the very next morning, there's a big pile sitting there waiting for you. The diaper needs to be changed again, and again, and again. And sometimes you say, what is the point of this? It just seems so vaporous, so meaningless. Even still, though, we can endure things that are difficult, that cause us some pain and suffering, if we can understand why it's necessary. You know, those of you who are athletes... You can, you can go through a grueling workout. You can go through a long, arduous practice if you know that that's getting you ready for the big game on Friday night. There's a goal. The problem with life is that we don't always understand the whys. Life doesn't always make sense to us. Ecclesiastes is a book of wisdom. But very often we have a wrong conception of what biblical wisdom is like. So what is biblical wisdom? 
With the risk of being repetitive, I'm going to use an illustration that I've already used before because it deals with this direct topic, and I can't think of anything better. J.I. Packer talks in his book, Knowing God, about York Station, this train station, and talks about observing railroad cars. But I like to think of it in terms of an airport, where if you go to an airport, you can see planes landing and taking off and planes being moved around. And it doesn't make sense why this particular plane is getting to come into the gate and this other plane is having to wait. It doesn't make sense. And if you're stuck out on the tarmac, you might get frustrated as you're there for an hour wondering, why can't we just pull into that gate so I can get off my plane? And it would be really nice if they'd let me go to the lavatory, but they won't. And so we look through the tiny little peephole window and we try to figure it out. And we try to say, oh, that must be why. That must be why. And Packer says, you know, if you could go up into the control tower, you would see panels and panels of, of lights and computers with every single plane for hundreds of miles around. And you'd see trained professionals who are analyzing the situation and directing everything in perfect harmony. And it would all make sense. And what he says is that very often, this is how we conceive a biblical wisdom, understanding it all. He says, We wrongly think that the gift of wisdom consists in a deepened insight into the providential meaning and purpose of events going on all around us, an ability to see why God has done what He has done in a particular case and what He is going to do next. People feel that if they really were walking close to God, He would take them into the air traffic control tower so that it would be clear to them every moment how God was making all things work together for good. And so if they end up baffled, they put it down to their own lack of spirituality. Friends, what Ecclesiastes is teaching us is that we're not in the control tower. But in spite of that, it's urging us to trust It's telling us you're not always going to understand the events that take place in the world around you or in your life. And very often, it's not going to appear as though there is a good God ordering everything. We're just not going to see why certain things take place. And so we shouldn't pretend that we have an understanding of everything. We shouldn't offer simplistic answers to very challenging problems and situations in life. You know, it's so tempting when something happens to comfort somebody by offering an explanation for why God allowed some tragedy to befall them. Well, God probably didn't let you make the team because He knew that you'd get hurt. Well, isn't God big enough to keep that injury from happening? The truth is that we just don't know. So we shouldn't ever tell somebody why God allowed their loved one to die. Because you don't know. But our response is to be present with people and to point them to the hope that is there, even in the midst of lack of understanding. And there is reason to hope. See, Ecclesiastes doesn't pretend that life is okay. It doesn't offer us simple answers and explanations. It's very real. 
about the fallenness of this world. But at the same time, it offers us hope. And so, we have to look at the book of Ecclesiastes in the context of the whole Bible. It doesn't call us to a blind trust in an unknown God. But it calls us to trust ourselves to a God who has revealed Himself. To a God who has acted in very specific ways. Who has redeemed His people. But we're not always going to understand how He's working. And yet, in the midst of that, what we're called to do is to trust and obey. Look at chapter 12, verse 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep His commandments. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the New Testament, the corollary is faith in Jesus Christ. The reality is that we've been given very specific reasons to trust in God. All throughout redemptive history, we see God's character displayed in what He has accomplished for His people. We see that He took the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He made promises to the patriarchs that He kept. He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on a cross in Palestine. And if you're a Christian, you know that Jesus broke into your life and gave you the gift of faith and repentance. And you know from the Bible the hope toward which all things are moving. A restored and better garden in a heavenly city. And so we know these fixed things. And we know the God who has ordered them, but we don't always understand the in-betweens. But what we know is that every event in my life is ultimately at the hand of of one who loved me enough to send His Son to die for me. So we have to acknowledge the uncertainty and obey and trust even in the midst of it. A commentator named J. Stafford Wright, who I think gives the best overall understanding of the book, writes, The book is a record of a search for the key to life It is an endeavor to give meaning to life, to see it as a whole. And there is no key under the sun. Life has lost the key to itself. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you want the key, you must go to the locksmith who made the lock. God holds the key of all unknown, and He will not give it to you. Since then, you cannot get the key. You must trust the locksmith to open the doors. We've got to trust our guide. Many of you, I'm sure, have been hiking and are familiar with cairns. Cairns are markers that are just usually a pile of rocks on a trail. And they're usually placed in areas where the trail isn't very clear. And so you can look from one cairn and see another cairn, maybe on another hill. But the pathway in between isn't always clearly marked. And you may have heard that 
the Bible is a roadmap to life. It's not. The Bible's not a roadmap to life, but what it does is it gives you fixed markers. It shows you a history of God's redemption, and it gives you fixed things that you can hang on to that are certain that God has done and that God will do. But very often, the pathway in between is fuzzy. And it's in those fuzzy times that we have to trust our guide. It's just like parents with children. You all experience this all the time. Children don't always understand exactly why they need to do what their parents are telling them to do. But they don't need to. The pathway of wisdom for them is to trust and obey their father. You know, my children, White and Darby, don't understand how the yucky medicine that we're making them take is going to heal their bodies. And quite honestly, Daddy doesn't understand either. (laughs) But I don't need to understand because I know the doctor and I trust the doctor and the pharmacist who do understand. You know, they don't understand what the momentum of a pickup truck will do to their little bodies if they walk carelessly through the parking lot. But they don't need to understand that. What they need to do is trust their father who loves them and takes care of them and provides for them. That's the pathway of wisdom, not understanding exactly how everything works. And so what Ecclesiastes calls us to do is recognize that we are living life under the sun in a broken and fallen world where life is frustrating, where things don't always make sense, where we don't always experience fulfillment in every relationship and in every task that we are given to do. And yet this is the Christian view of the world. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 8 where he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And so even in the midst of that, even in the midst of the groaning and the frustration Paul can continue and say, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so, in this broken world, as we experience suffering, as a Christian, we remember that this suffering is a sweet communion with the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Christian life's not always full of happiness and smiles and understanding everything that happens. 
But Jesus never said it would be like this. He said it was going to be hard, but He gave us a promise. He said in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So we're not always going to understand God's providence and the meaning and the purpose of it all. But we know the hand that guides everything that comes into our lives. And it is good. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. And so what we are called to do is remember our shepherd. The one from whom all wisdom flows. Ecclesiastes says of the sayings that they are given by one shepherd. And this shepherd is our Redeemer. And He is the giver of all good things. And the conclusion of Ecclesiastes is that because God is in control, we can enjoy the good gifts that He's given to us. So what we're called to do when we don't have full wisdom is to entrust ourselves to the one who is wisdom and goodness incarnate. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much uncertainty and anxiety swirling around in so many of our hearts, things that we don't even express to one another. There are disappointments. There is frustration. We wish things were different. Would you allow us to see that even when we don't understand, you are the good shepherd who does everything because you love us and you care for us. Would you allow us to trust in you, remembering that you sent your only son to die for us? How will you not also, along with him, give us everything that you know we need? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.